Okay, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 154. Um, I was asked by my friend Sheldon Hoyt, who I did a podcast with uh, last week, uh, mainly focusing on the issues around race. Um, And he texted me out of the blue. He was hosting a live DJ set um, uh, on a show called Soka Passion Live. And um, he invited me to come on and talk about my experiences growing up um, in Ohio playing in a steel band and sort of he moderated a discussion uh, with myself and uh, about three or four other uh, total strangers I had never met but that he was friends with and um, it was all the things. It was beautiful, it was hard, it was interesting, um, it was humbling and um, one of the guests on the show who we who I spoke with during the show is coming on my podcast on Saturday. Her name is Mecca. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and because uh, I certainly did, and I hope you learned something from it. So enjoy. This is Soka Passion Live, uh, moderated and hosted by Sheldon Hoyt. All right, enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Two, one, two. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? So today, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to do things a little bit different. We want to start the conversation... So where we go from here. So we know I would like anyone who has anything to say to join us. Share the life. We have uh, Josh Quillen who will be joining us in a little while. All right. Um, we have uh, Christina. Who is originally the host at this time, it's not this show. <laughs> She's on the line. The cell management, we all here. We're expecting to be joined by Dane, Mr. Soka Passion. So the whole goal of today's show would be to discuss solutions. We have already identified all the problems. And we see in day after day how more people are emboldened. To pretty much just express themselves the way they they are. To express their true selves. You see a bunch of people of, uh, let's say, Indian background or Indian heritage. We see Dominicans um, who are also coming out. So we see, I, I saw a video with a Jewish guy. And a Japanese lady. So we are seeing everyone coming out of them, uh, pretty much showing who they are. Right? So we understand that there is a problem with all, not just systematically, it goes to the fabric of who we are as individuals. So our discussion today pretty much is gonna be around what we think could be done. Um, as far as solution, presenting a solution, right? So today we have with us Josh Quillen, and and let me just introduce Josh. Josh um, is someone who I met playing steel pan with Brooklyn Steel Orchestra, and this was a few years ago, right? A few years ago. Now, if you notice, if you look at the screen. Josh is, Josh, Josh is with us now. Josh is white, right? We're not mixing words today. Josh is white. 
And um, Josh has been around the punk community uh, for some time now. And he's well known and he's well liked within the punk community. Now, I had the pleasure last week of being on Josh's podcast. Right? And Josh um, pretty much wanted me to share my experience. There were no preconceived uh, direction of where this uh, interview went. It was just me sharing my experience and, and thoughts. And I appreciate that from Josh. So when this opportunity presented itself this afternoon, I decided to ask Josh to return the favor. And without hesitation, Josh was willing to join us today. So now, Josh, let me introduce uh, let me introduce introduce you to who else we have on the screen here. We have LaSalle. LaSalle, who is uh, pretty much... Um, we call our management for Soka Passion Live. Uh, <laughs> we have Christina. Christina is the original host of this show that, that I am doing right now. And due to certain circumstances, I end up doing this show. And she, she her availability opened up and she decided to join. Hi, Christina. So now I know you guys watching me drink my coffee. <laughs> it doesn't matter what time of day I drink coffee anyway. So what we are trying to do today, and the reason I asked Josh here is because Josh said something in our interview last week that stuck with me, right? And it kind of, it poses a question. How do we change that aspect of the innate innate desire to treat someone differently because of the color of their skin now if um so josh josh grew up in where were you born ohio or, or wyoming I, I, uh, dover ohio dover ohio so josh is from ohio and josh grew up and the thing that josh said that stuck with me was the fact that when he was younger right when he was younger he was not hold on we we, <laughs> we have more soccer passion family joining josh so if you see one or two more people in the screen this is uh the team this is the, every one of us is part of the team how you doing so, Marky? pretty much you said something last week josh in the context of when you were younger right there's a certain practice in the community or a certain perception of black people and i'm trying to get to the bottom of where that comes from um prior to you being exposed to steel pan and people of other races so i would like you now to first of all introduce yourself to us and to the rest of the team Tell them about your background because we had this conversation last week. And just explain to everyone that um, point of view from your family growing up back in Ohio to the point where it ch your, your exposure to different cultures changed your perception. So I would like to start there. I'm happy to happy to answer. And, and just before we move forward, I'm happy to answer any literally any question anybody has about anything. I will do the best I can to answer it. Um, and I also want to say moving forward, um, I don't ever want to give the perception I'm speaking for anyone but myself. Um, 
the world is very complicated, as I imagine each and every one of you is a complicated person. So I don't want to assume anything other than like, I'm just going to tell you what I've seen. Um, and you can take it as a data point to make decisions moving forward. But uh, yeah, my name is Josh Quillen. I grew up in Dover, Ohio. Um, and I would say had a very stereotypical Midwest upbringing. I was born in 1979. Um, this is all pre-internet, pre YouTube pre anything and just my town uh, it's very small at the time it was a very very small town I don't you know I think now it's maybe population 25,000 but um, initially I, th I would guess it was more in the neighborhood of 12 it's just a very small town cornfields everywhere right um, I would say I grew up in a town that was loving caring I played on a baseball team that had you know I had there was one black kid on the baseball team his name was Avery uh, or Julius Avery, and um, was I didn't, there was never any feeling, like never any overt feeling I had as a youth, as a young kid of like, oh, I need to treat Julius differently. He was just on my baseball team, just just like Abby Gonder was and my friend Danny, and like, it was our crew, you know? Um, but I think I did grow up watching 24-hour news, watching the way um, politicians talk, the things that they choose to highlight in the news, the things they choose to highlight when they're deciding to talk about things in public on the floor of the Senate, um, like all of it, you know, you, you grow up, you see it, you watch it. Um, I would say there's, there's, I, I use the word ignorance as a, and I say that in sort of the most honest, genuine way. Um, there's just a lot of uh, things that folks just don't know. Um, and don't come from a place. And when they say things or they ask questions or they don't know, it doesn't come from it. And I, and I mean this sincerely, it doesn't come from a place of hate, at least overt hate in the sense that um, if I felt like my town when I was growing up was a cancerous place that I should disown and burn down because of their beliefs, I would have done so. So, and I think that I, that's why I appreciate the conversation with Sheldon here is because I think he trusts me and I trust him enough to know that like, I, I just want you to believe me when I say that. Um, trust me when I say it was a it was a beautiful place, and I wouldn't I wouldn't do it again differently if I had the option. Why? The other reason why is because I had all the similar upbringings that I think a lot of kids do in the Midwest who maybe don't interface with other cultures, whether it be African American or whether it be Jewish or whether it be you know Islam or whether it be atheists. Like it's just you know we just I just my town for whatever reason just didn't interface a lot with many different types of cultures, except that I had a, a teacher named Joan Wenzel who graduated from the University of Akron. Um, she studied with a, a teacher of mine named Larry Snyder, and he was very close with a gentleman named Cliff Alexis, who uh, taught at Northern Illinois University, um, was one of the, the first two major steel pan tuners with Ellie Minette to move up from Trinidad. Um, Cliff somehow landed in St. Paul, Minnesota, and then built a set of steel drums that my high school band director, who's a, just a white lady from Ohio, Joan Wenzel, just happened to know Cliff somehow through her college studies, bought this set of drums and started a steel band at my high school. And when I was in fifth grade, I had all the things that I think all the 24-hour news and the sort of biases that people talk about, the ignorance that you know, I didn't grow, I didn't know about slavery. It just was a thing I didn't know. I, I wasn't educated very well on it. All of the textbooks, as we all talk about, are, are, are systemically biased towards a specific viewpoint. It's all of that. Um, but I was really lucky in fifth grade. Somehow, 
I, somebody injected a steel band in my life and it was Joan Wenzel, a white lady from Ohio. <laughs> and I just started playing. And as soon as I joined in ninth grade, she invited Cliff Alexis to come in tune. Cliff was the first black person I ever knew in my entire life who I had a conversation with as a ninth grader. Um, I wasn't mature enough to have the types of conversations initially with him that I did have later, but I just think, I think like right now in these moments where the world is on fire, everybody's angry and rightfully so. Um, I think of like, Oh my God, if every, every if everyone could just play in a steel band from ninth grade, not going to solve all the problems at all. There's way, there's, there's way, this issue is way too complicated to say that that's like, it's simple. But I think the conversation now would be much differently, would be much different with, I think, populations who maybe like don't just never interface with each other for whatever reason. Um, Cliff was the first, I got to college. Um, I went to the University of Akron and Cliff, I was put in charge of driving Cliff around. Like he flew in and I was sort of tasked as, as a percussion student in college to drive Cliff around, make sure he got to his hotel, get him food. First thing I did when I picked Cliff up at the airport, um, we drove him to a barber shop. And he, he said, I need to go get my haircut. I can't find a good barber shop in, in, in Illinois. And I was 20 years old and I just didn't know. And I said, why? And he, he said, what do you mean? Why? And I said, why do you have to, what do you mean? There's a bar, we, there's a barber shop here. I go over here. There's 15 other ones I can take you to. That for me was a sliding door moment in terms of like cliff, very calmly explained to me why his hair was different than mine, why he needed to go to a different barbershop. And he did it in this way. He said, okay, let's go. And he said, turn here, turn here. And he took me to a part of the town I had never been to. I didn't even know existed. Um, I was scared. I was insecure. I was nervous. Um, I didn't know what to say. I didn't recognize anything or anybody around me. I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest here. Like I, it, I know it sounds silly for me to say that, but I went and <laughs> I went to, um, he took me into his barbershop and he said, sit there. And I, there was a corner chair and I sat in the chair and we were there for two hours. He got his haircut for about 15 minutes of those two hours. <laughs> and they just shot the shit and talked. It was like I was seeing a newspaper in real time, right? They were just talking about the stuff that had happened the day before, about what they want to happen the next day, catching up about family life, catching about all of it, you know. There was the op-ed section of the barbershop. There was the sports section of the barbershop. There was like, it touched on all the bases that the newspaper or the, the modes of communication that I grew up with, watching my dad read the newspaper at the, the counter. And again, that's, I'm not saying that Black people don't read the newspaper. But for me, I was like, oh, this is another way to communicate. This is not like the thing of, oh, that's why. Like, okay, it made more sense to me. And then Cliff sent me to Trinidad. And I was in Trinidad as a 22-year-old, 21-year-old, and was the first time in my life where I was the only white person in the room. And for I was there for three and a half weeks in 2002. I played with Phase 2 Pan Groove, and uh, I was assigned the gentleman to teach me the tune, and I sat in that pan yard for two weeks, and no one said a word to me other than the person teaching me the drum, teaching me the tune. There was no animosity, just to be clear. I never felt uncomfortable. I never felt unsafe. I never was scared. But there was, there was a clear moment of like, I need to understand something here and I just don't know it yet. So I'm just going to shut up and, you know, I don't know the tune yet. So what do I, well, I, I should just practice first. Let's get that out of the way. And so two weeks into it, a gentleman tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and he was 
um, he introduced himself, but he had the the camouflage and pardon my ignorance here on this a little bit. I'm sure it's more, it, I'm not explaining this right, but he had the black uh, Panther fatigues on with the patch and the beret. Um, he was from the sixties and older gentleman. He tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and he, he just said, hello, I would like to speak with you. And I thought to myself, I think I said this to you, Sheldon. I thought to myself, I was like, this is it. It's over. I'm a dead man. What did I do? You know, like I had never had this type of conversation before and he just shook my hand and, and I feel terrible. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he, he said, you're really good. And thank, and he just said, thank you. And I said, what's the beret for? <laughs> like, that was the only thing I could get out of my mouth. And he just very calmly explained to me what the black Panther movement was in Trinidad in particular. And I know it's different than it was in the States. Um, he just talked to me. He taught me, he showed me and um, introduced me to his friend Castro, who had first guy that I had, like, I didn't know what dreadlocks were. I didn't understand. I just didn't know. I didn't know what Rastafarian culture was. I didn't know that different parts of the black culture look at dreadlocks, maybe slightly in different nuanced ways. Like it's not, there's not a clean, like yes or no to any of these answers, um, even within the black community. Right. Um, in the same way that there's not any clean answers in the white community. I mean, it's, this is what was becoming apparent to me. It's like, oh, these are, this, the, they operate, and sorry to use the word they, that sounds shitty when I say it that way, but it's like, they operate the same way that my cousins do when we hang out at Christmas. It's just a different thing. Like, it's just a different, I just kept saying to myself, oh, for two weeks in Trinidad. And then this gentleman spoke with me and I learned something. And then from that point on, dude, the the generosity I received specifically from the steel band community is one that I now in this moment, the specific moment in history, and I see all my white friends. And again, I hate saying that that way because like, to me, I'm very, I believe very strongly that, that we cannot be binary about the way we see each other or we're all screwed. Um, and I think that steel band right now, I'm very grateful for it because it allowed me and forced me to not, I'm not capable of seeing this moment in a binary way other than the, like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Like you're either on the right side of this or you're not you're on the wrong side. Correct. <laughs> me. Oh, oh yeah. Or no, no. no. I, you say I'm on the wrong side. No, no. I say you're either on the right side or the wrong side. Right. However, big, big, big picture. That's true. But I would say in the long term, the way we solve these problems and Sheldon, that's why I wanted to talk to you about this is because it's clear to you. And it's clear to me that there's not a clean answer to any of this. Like there's going to be shades of gray on every issue. We need to talk about that. And then I also need to not ascribe um, intent or motives to your viewpoints because I don't know what your motives are. Um, and I just have to trust that they're good and we can learn from each other. So all of that said, Sheldon, that was a really long answer to your, your question. <laughs> I apologize for that. But no, well, that's, that's fine. I think you hit all the points. So um, one question, though, and, and here right now, we're simply having a discussion yeah. to try to find ways to move forward. Right. And the the question I have, because uh, clearly, apparently, um, there's a disconnect. And when we say a disconnect, we had this conversation last. Oh, you're muted, Sheldon. Goodness. All right. So now, <laughs> sorry. All right. So clearly there's there's a disconnect from where we grow up and the information we receive to what is actually out there, what the actual experiences are. And the reason I asked about you growing up and where you grew up 
is to identify a specific point that you grew up and you had no idea other than what you saw your dad um, watching on the news and what was written in the newspaper. Now, the issue with that, in my opinion, is that, and we, we also touched on this last week, is that the news media or the outlets direct a particular message to a particular group of people. Right? So their message, let's say to Ohio or Wyoming or people who they believe to be conservative, would be that highlighting the negative aspects of the black community. Right? And I, I would go on the other side also because you have those who are extremely liberal and all they do is highlight what's wrong on the other side. Right? So now a big question came up and I, I had to battle with this myself as to why in the world would someone vote for Donald Trump? He is a bigot. He's proven to be racist. He's a dishonest man. He cares about no one but Donald Trump. I had to take a step back and realize, and I'm talking about people who I'm close to, who voted for Donald Trump. Me too. Now, when I analyze it, it's like, okay, they voted based on what policies they wanted to see implemented, and they believed that he was a better candidate to do that. Right? So that's, that's just that. So we have this big divide on politics, and I think a lot of us need to separate politics and look at each other as just human beings. Right? So my thing to you, Josh, and it is a question you may not be able to even begin to answer this, but it's a challenge I will pose to you, and I know your time is short, is aside from steel pan, right? How else can someone like you and people who are like you, who are white folks, and we're saying black and white, and, and we're not sugarcoating anything here today, alright? Because that's what we're looking at. Initially, I said it's a straight black and white issue, but my realization is more than that because it's black, white, Chinese, Spanish, Indians, and everyone else who has their opinion and their identity and their views. So you as a white man, right? And I say that with all respect. Um, how do you think that people who grow up in communities like yours could be exposed and that's a challenging question i don't know if you have any single answer to that i doubt because you pretty much your your um path to exposure was the steel pan yeah we won't find that somebody in wyoming may be exposed to that also but for the people like you who have been exposed how do you get that message back to the roots of where you're from that hey listen the message we are uh, spreading in our community, the way we are growing our kids, that's not the reality. Black people are not all violent criminals. How do you, um, one, address that? And what do you think white folks could do to get that message to their, their roots? Well, I think um, as you were talking, I, I, I you know, there's, there's lots of things that I think if I were to go back now, I would be like, maybe I should just be 
I wish, I wish now we could go back and sorry. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think real hard here. Like I grew up watching the show cops. I would posit that that show has done more damage to the black community and the white community in terms of how we see things than, than in terms of my, where my experience lies. Um, nobody was, I mean, you know what I, I grew, I, we have all grown up hearing the N word. I have, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm not racist in any way. Right. Like this is a, this is a human thing. I have, I, I have, I've had more experience in the black community than a lot of my friends, but I still walk down the street in Trinidad and I still have moments where my lizard brain pops up and is just like, Oh my God, be afraid. And I have to actively be like, Josh, this isn't that time. And to me, it's like, a, it's like a, it's like learning how to bench press. Like at first you're good at doing like 20 pounds and it takes a long time to get good at it. And to me, I think there's a human skill that we all have to get good at, which is realizing that we are all evolved humans that are complicated and we all have things. There are tools in our brains that we just don't need anymore. And shows like cops and the 24 hour news networks, all they do is they feed on that particular part of our brain that relies on fear and danger and being scared and otherism and all of that stuff. If it bleeds, it leads. There's a reason we watch the OJ car chase glued to the TV, right? Like at least my community did. It was like watching a TV show. We had been trained by watching cops that it was like normal to watch somebody being chased down the freeway. That was normal. Um, so that is like a larger societal thing. And I think we should be just as a society across the board, be thinking long and hard about like how we monetize reality for a lot of people. And I want to be, I think we should be, I would say we need to be careful about that in terms of my own, how I personally feel like minds are changed on this stuff and how we fix it. Um, I think starting a steel band, I think folks would be really surprised at how many steel bands there are in Ohio now. Um, just as a, like, if you're just looking for data points of um, things that are tangible that you can do that will solve a problem at least today, but you're not going to see the results of until 20 years later. Like you plant a steel band was planted in Dover, Ohio in 1983 or something. It's now 2020 and that band is still there. It's twice the size and they sell out about 1200 tickets a year um, for this concert in my Dover, in my high school auditorium that's packed with all of the people I grew up with all white. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to discount the idea that the steel band, you know, if we did, you know, we found $2 trillion to just throw at the country when the pandemic happened if we found a hundred million just to say every middle school in this country, black, white, Asian, it doesn't matter what you are, you get a steel band. <laughs> like I genuinely think in 20 years, again, not, not that all the problems will be fixed, but this, this, the conversation will be easier and different. Um, I think it is incumbent upon the thing I've learned in having conversations with friends of mine who voted for Donald Trump, the things, um, trying to, to dis I mean, I've Sheldon, I, I've been seeing a lot of the conversations on your page, but also friends of mine, the conversation around all lives matter versus, versus black lives matter. Like that, like if I'm just going to pick a specific thing that online culture has decided is the thing. And when I say online culture, what I'm seeing yeah. is predominantly white people making this argument that like fighting with flamethrowers about all lives matter. And it's a, th as if that as as if we solved that problem, racism's done. And to me, I, I just keep thinking like it took me 20 years to learn what I know now. 
it's it's ridiculous of me to assume anybody's going to feel about this the way I do after one Facebook post where I claim I'm blocking them and aren't I proud? You know, that's not going to work. I guarantee you, if there's a white friend of yours who says something like that, I guarantee you it's not going to work to block them and ignore them because 99% of those people just don't know. All right. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they just don't know. All right. Um, and that's that. Sorry to cut you off, but that's to... pretty much based on our conversation. That is what I got from that. Now, I would I have another very difficult question for you, because you said something just now that I am 100 percent on board with. And after I'm done with this question, I'll open it up to anyone else who are who is in our Zoom, anyone of our team to ask you a question. Please, right. Please. I know you have. And for those who are, are here, Josh has a another engagement in a little while. So I'm going to try to just hit this question and and as brief as a response as you could give me. And then I'll open it up to anyone else who may have a question. Because I appreciate you, know, you reining me in, Sheldon. You really need to you really need to box me in, buddy. You're the host. <laughs> so, go for it. Yo, we had to deal with this as real as we could. Right. Yeah, yeah. Other question I would ask, since you just said that about steel pan and all that stuff. Right now, there is this conversation going, and it's a blunt conversation. Now, let's suppose that they take $100 million and invest it into all the schools in America. The issue will come up that white people are trying to take over a steel pan. How would you respond to that? Um, I would say that I have heard... I, have, I would say that anyone... Anyone from the community who feels that strongly is absolutely entitled and welcome to that feeling. I'm never going to tell somebody they shouldn't have that feeling. I have been to Trinidad. I know a few, I know a handful of white people who I've been told if they ever get off the plane, will never get back on it because they have a reputation in Trinidad uh, as of one of thievery, that they will steal something and try to take it back and claim it as their own. It happens. Um, cultural appropriation is a real thing, but for me, my experience with that sort of mentality has been because of somebody culturally thieving something from Trinidad or from the steel band world. So I just want to be careful here to say, like, I don't think anybody shouldn't have that feeling. If you have it, it's justified because it has happened and it will continue to happen. It happens in every field, not just in steel pan. It happens in the African drumming world, uh, a way drumming groups. It happens. I mean, this is not a new feeling to have. I just want you to know that I'm never going to tell you that you shouldn't have that feeling because I've seen it in the flesh. I know people who steal, so it's a real thing. But um, I would say, look at the data points. Look, look at me. Did I steal? Am I stealing? If you perceive me as someone who's stealing something from you, I really, really want to sit down and talk with you because I think the, the experiences I've had, um, again, I can only speak for myself. I, have, I go through my life trying to be very generous and say, hello, how are you first before I start putting my agenda on somebody? Um, no one has ever told me in the steel band community, I'm stealing anything from them. Um, so I would say that if that conversation comes up, I would just say, we need to have a conversation about it. So let's sit down and talk. I would never say like, you're dumb. Don't feel that. Like I would say what I'm saying to you right now, Sheldon, I would say, let's talk about this because I think this is important. And if it takes us 20 years, it's frustrating it's not sexy to solve it all in one day. I would say let's chat because I can also introduce you to a lot of people like myself whose lives, whose views on racism, 
whose views on bigotry, whose views on food, <laughs> on laughter, types of humor, on types of slang, you know, my world's been changed by it. So if you feel like um, that sort of broad approach would be one of like, oh my God, the white culture is trying to steal it. Again, I get it. But I want you to know that the payoff, what you're going to see in 20 years, the payoff is going to be way so much worth it. And I just like, I don't know anything other than to say that like, I've asked Sheldon to trust me on that. And he said, yes. And I just need you to trust <laughs> me that that, that is, that's at least a conversation I'm willing to have over the long haul. I'm going to die when I'm 92 years old and I'm willing to have a conversation <laughs> then 92. as I, in the same All way right. I'm now at 40. So I hope that answered your question, Sheldon, but I, I feel yeah, like that's it's good. too complicated a thing to sort of say like, all right, I got happen. you. I got you. And that's why I asked that question. So I think anyone else has a question. I see, uh, Christina admitted us. Oh, Mecca definitely Mecca. has a question. This is Mecca Rose. She's one of our DJs on Soka Passion Live. And she has had some uh, less than pleasant uh, experiences. Mecca, the floor is yours. Hi, Mecca. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. So um, I came in a little late, but I heard you saying something about basically with the steel pan thing doing that, bringing people together with kind of solve race relations. Am I, do I have that correct? Uh, well, I, I want to be careful to say that like it is, it has um, over the last 20 years, being in a steel band has, has singularly formed my view on race relations. So my, my hypothesis is if we can sort of somehow cram every U S citizen through a steel band, um, that conversation would be slightly easier than it is now. I think that's, that's, that's my, my standpoint on that. All right. So my standpoint on that, um, I understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. but my standpoint on that, um, we've been sharing our culture for years um, and it, and we still get killed in the street. We still don't have any reform. The, the, the problem we have is that this racism thing is systematic. It's not just about black people and white people hanging together. There's justice for you. There's no justice for me when something happens. Us sharing our culture has not, we haven't benefited from it at all. When people say that you steal it, you guys, it's not like a, a, a malicious, oh, I'm going to take it. You got to understand that everything you guys touch becomes yours. Whether, you, whether you're aware of it or not, it does. Because we we had, and this has been going on for centuries. Belly dance is the African art form. But you wouldn't know that because... You see mostly like white people doing it, white people, Spanish, white people, you know, I mean, sorry, Latino, white people. That's what you see doing it. Rock and roll was a black art form mm -hmm. that was taken from us. You understand? So uh, sharing culture has never been the answer. It hasn't gotten us anywhere because you guys get the glory when we do all the work. And that's just the reality of it. So I give I get what you're saying. It's nice and everything, but it doesn't solve the bigger problem because the bigger problem is that no matter what we do as black people, we still get stepped on. Black woman is still the most disrespected, the most you know um, underrated woman in the world. Are we not even? We just recently people started looking at us beautiful. We, we're not the 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 what's the word? We're not the idea idea of beauty um, globally. And it's not that we're not beautiful. It's just we're not put on that forefront. So it's not just us coming together and, and being part of a steel band or any other thing, sharing the culture. We, we don't get fairness when it comes to the justice system. This, this system that, that 
that the, the this country was founded on in the first place, black people weren't even considered people. The change doesn't have to, it doesn't come from sharing cultures. That don't work. We have to have to be systematic. Something has to be done on a on a, a grander scale. Because I have I have white friends that I'm cool with, but at the end of the day, they don't get scared like I get scared when I get pulled over by the police. So if you want to, and I and I understand you want to help, but if you really want to really help, you got to get your people. It comes from people in authority. Help us stand up to the people that's in authority in the government. Help us out. Do, help us with what we can do together, mm-hmm. with with or without you guys, or you guys can do it to to make a change. Because systematic. It's not about oh we we just want you guys to like us. It's not that. We want equality, the, the um, generational wealth. White people have seven times the generational, generational wealth that black people have. What, what do you want, if you really care about us, do something to fix that. You understand, get your people. Cause it's not, we, we don't, we don't, I think it, I, I also think it goes back to the saying, each one teach one. Like he said, he was oblivious. He was in his corner of Ohio. Meanwhile, there was the other side of Ohio that he just was absolutely oblivious to until this one black man took him over to that section of Ohio. So again, it goes back to each one, teach one. You say get your people, but then we also got to get our people too. It, right. You say you have white friends, like well, like he said when he went to Trinidad, his lizard brain was like, "Oh gosh, I'm scared." But we're the same way. When white people and white officers walk into the room, we're like, "Oh, sh- oh shit!" Uh, and everything it's time to go, or let's bounce, let's get out of here. The same for us. The difference with, with that is that we there's actually a history of us. The, the difference with that is it's actually a history of us being kicked down by white people, not just the police. Because those guys that killed Aubrey weren't even police officers. And that's I said, what I said. This, it, this is something that, okay, no matter what part of the world you are in, whether it's in the small corner of Ohio, you can turn the TV and see that black people, we deal with injustice. You, you don't have to be like around black people to see that. You gotta, you're aware of that because you can turn on the TV and see that. Mecca, one sec. All right. So I, I mean I I I get your point, Mecca, and, and that's something that we're gonna discuss further. Um because again, Josh is only so much Josh could do. And Josh, I appreciate you coming on here. Um and I and this is why I wanted to have this, because we need to share our real feelings, right? And Josh has to leave in a little bit, so I just want him to respond to Mecca. I'm okay, Sean, um, just to be clear. I, I got a few minutes. I'm okay. All right. So Trust me, Mecca, we all, we get it, right? We get it. We know it needs to, one, be a systematic change. And that's why we decide we want to have this conversation today. And we're going to keep conversation going. The question is, what next? What next? There's no one formula. We know systematically that there needs to be a change, right? One, we need to listen to each other and understand each other's point of view and where we're coming from and we need to 
try to figure out the best methods moving forward because there's no one formula. There's not one. And, and that's what I'm saying. There's there's no right. one formula. But, but the, the most important thing we can do is make that change at, with the whole system, with the government. If you want to help us really help us and have a real change, we need that. We need to, we need fairness. We well, need correct. How do we achieve that? And that's the question we're asking today. That's what I brought How up. How do we achieve that? Right? Now, it starts, and like, like Christina said, right, that's a start. And I would, I'm, I'm not taking sides. I'm just being real with my point of view. The fact that Josh is saying that a start could be to take steel pan, use steel pan as a tool to expose some people who may not have that um, malicious intent, but they just have not been exposed. That's one of the first things. We have more to discuss, but I want to discuss that. I just want to make use of Josh's time, and then we could go further into our discussions and ideas on different things we could do, right? Because we can't just sit and say, yo, what are you guys going to do? Clearly, we saw, we witnessed all this going on daily. This is not the first time. Uh, it And since, um, let's say since the year has begun, even since this last protest, the past week, there's been so many incidents of where people are being mistreated because they're black. And now we are seeing more and more that we have to deal with the Dominicans, the people from DR. We have to deal with other Hispanics. We have to deal with people of Indian descent within our own Caribbean community. So this is not a... Uh, it has evolved into more than just a black and white. It's a black versus pretty much everybody else, right? Now we do have allies and our discussion needs to be around what we could do or what our next steps are going to be because i've seen and the reason I, I brought this question up we are all on this um facebook group where there's like fifty thousand people and it's like follow me on instagram i'll follow you follow you back black business whatever but it's it's chaotic right it's chaotic because i've seen i can't tell you how many every day every minute i feel like there's a somebody's posting their business or, or their information, follow me. I'm this close to 10,000. That's not the goal. You understand? But anyhow, I'll, I'll just let you speak again, Mecca. I'll let Josh respond and then I'll let you respond. And then we let Josh go on his way and, and we'll continue the discussion. All right. So I want Josh to respond and then I'll, I'll get back to you, Mecca. Uh, well, uh, first of all, first off, I just want to say, Mecca, thank you for Thank you for sharing your 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 time and your your thoughts on this stuff. And I again, I just want to say that like, um, I don't ever, I'm never going to question your feelings on this. Like they're yours and they're only yours. And I I I'm not going to pretend to to have them. I'm gonna I, and I think I I want to do my best. I will. I try to do my best to pretend like I have those feel empathize with you. Like what would it feel like? I mean i I have I was forced to do that as a white person for the first time working with a steel band in Brooklyn. Kendall Williams had me come in and work with Crossfire. And um, it was the first time in my life where I ever felt like I had to deal with what it meant to be white in a position of authority. Like, oh my God, now Kendall, my friend, is asking me to tell a large steel band what to do. And given all the things you laid out, Mecca, that are absolutely true, <laughs> the historic oppression, 400 years of people with my skin color telling black people what to do. And it terrified me. 
and it was a huge responsibility. And I felt like all of a sudden I had a flamethrower in my hands, a 400, I mean, it's not just 400 years old, but as far as this country is concerned, I had a 400 year old flamethrower in my hand in front of all my friends. And I was like, I don't know how to use this. I've never had this particular tool yet. So I kind of put it on the ground and followed Kendall's lead and only spoke about like, Hey, um, you came in a little bit early here. Listen to Jerry on in the, in the drum section or whatever, as like, I need to learn how to do this too. Like, it's not my role to tell anyone how to do things. I need to learn how this ecosystem works. And Kendall, in the same way that Cliff, I think, with me early on when I was in college, Kendall um, was the person who sort of kept putting me in front of people, whether it be Martin Douglas, whether it be Jerry and Williams, whether it be Sheldon or Travis DaVinci or any of these folks that are Lakeisha or Arisha, like people that I got introduced to, I learned, I got better with that tool. And instead of it being a flamethrower now, it's more like a, I have a microphone now. Like, I feel like I, now I'm like, Oh, I'm going to talk to my friends about stuff because I, there's, there's just so much I don't know. There's no way I can ever know Mecca. And it breaks my heart that I I'll never know what it's like to drive my car and feel afraid. I'll never know that. And I, and I just, I want you between you and me, I can't speak for all of my white friends, but like just know between you and me, I think about that all the time. I think about it when I see Kendall drive away and like, it's my buddy. I see his two kids and, and I think about that and it terrifies me because the answer to your question about the system Mecca is I don't know. That's like, after all of this thinking, I feel like I don't know the best way into, I work in the system. I benefit from it. I teach at NYU. And if you don't think when I walk on stage and I see a room full of Brooklyn staring at me and I'm in front of a steel band being like, here's this culture that you gave to me and I'm going to show it back to you that I am not absolutely inside riddled with fear and guilt and shame and all of the things. And I just had tried desperately not to say the right thing um, or not to say the wrong thing. Um, but in my experience, the way, the way, the way I learned how to hack the system for my friends in the best way I could as a 40 year old, and I'm going to, I'm trying to try to get better so that when I'm 80, the system does what I want it to do. Um, the way I did it, the way, I was taught those tools was through a steel band. Um, and I, again, I totally understand. I know two people who will never make it off a plane if they go to Trinidad because of that threat. And I'm, I don't take it lightly, but I guess I just want to say Mecca, like keep, I want you to keep telling me stories, but so that you can build trust with me because we met over zoom. This is the worst place to meet anyone, <laughs> you know, given the, given the, the, we're all been locked in our house since May like or March, like, but I want I, w- I want to ask you in this context to like to me, the way it's been done with Cliff is to somebody just slowly build trust. And it doesn't you don't have to believe everything I say right now. But I know based on my relationship with Sheldon and Kendall and everybody else that in five years, you and I still will not completely understand each other's lives, but we'll at least be more aware of where the system has a soft underbelly and how to sort of poke it and get inside and sort of change it and become a like weird good cancer. <laughs> inside the system to sort of bring it to its knees in the little bit that in that little chunk and part of the ecosystem that I feel like I can interact that, that I can intersect with. So all of that said, uh, I feel like my answer to you, Mecca is like, I don't know, but like, I, I want us to keep having this conversation because it means something to me. And I, and this is the answer. I genuinely think it's the answer, but uh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Well, I, I appreciate that you, you did want to, you know, address us and, and you want to learn, you want to understand. And um, I, I'm not here to bash you or be mean to you, but I'm just, you know, because you want to know, or you want to understand, I'm here to oh, kind of open your eyes to some things that you probably don't know. Um, the, 
what I'm saying to you basically is if you really want to help us, like really want to help us, we need help with the system. We need, we need you guys to use your privilege to help us out because we are disenfranchised because you do have a privilege and I'm sure you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. And we need you to use that, that privilege to help the people who are, who really don't have a voice. Yeah. We only recently got a voice. So that's, that's the thing I'm saying to you because we do go through these things and it's, it's more than just, you know, you guys getting along with us. It's not that we know you like us. We, we, I mean, we, we, we're aware of that. Well, for most people, for the most part, you know, cause y'all, you know, y'all, tan your skin and you get, you know, do things that to oh, that's culturally ours. So we know you like us. <laughs> it's not about you liking us. It's about the fact that we're disenfranchised and you have a privilege that we don't have. So we would like for you to use that privilege to help us out. If you do like us, use that privilege to help us out. Because you do see that we're disenfranchised. You see how we're treated. You know you don't want it for you. So use what you have to help us out. Well, so one of the things that I that I will say in this discussion, the the thing as we're talking, the thing I'm becoming more aware of just in my interactions with my white friends, um, the, my interact. If I had to sort of like put a judgment on like what's easier to do, convince my white friends of their privilege and what that means. Not not that my white friends are like I'm not trying to convince them that they're bad people, but like just explain to them what this means, what systemic bias means what systemic oppression is what what this all looks like what it like is it easier to convince them than that or is it easier to trick the system in small ways over the course of 15 years like at nyu for example i have not i have made mistakes i haven't there are days where i've woke up and realized woken up and realized i didn't use my tool the right way yesterday i need to fix that you know um i make mistakes and i'm going to continue to do it but Man, it has been easier for me to trick the system at NYU into allowing Brooklyn Steel Bands to come over since 2010 and commission people like Kendall and pay Mark Brooks and guest artists to come over. It's been way easier to do that than it has been to convince my friends to dislodge some some ideology or viewpoint that they maybe gained without even knowing it. And, um, you know, I've had conversations where I've convinced friends of mine to to not vote for Trump. On two occasions, it's only two people, you know, it's, it's two people. Like, it's not like I'm, I've changed the electorate, but two very close friends of mine, it's, and man, it's so frustrating. It's agonizing. And I, I want to scream and bash my head into the wall, but I know these people, I grew up with them and I know from where their bias comes from and it's education, it's learned, it's taught. And I've recently, and, and oddly, the sad thing about some of these two people that I know and their viewpoints sort of changing is that at kind of this moment right now, my brother is a blues musician in Charleston. And he's sort of a unicorn in his field too. He's a white guy in Charleston, South Carolina, playing blues. And so he works only with black people in South Carolina. And he's now never been more politically active than he ever has been in his entire life. And my family members now look at him and they look at me and it's now never more apparent than ever how important black communities, and in particular for him, blues and me, Soka and Calypso and steel band music, how important that stuff is to my life. And I can say now, it, sadly, it took Mecca with some folks 20 years to see that. But, that. but the truth is, the data point is that it worked. And it. so I, I guess I just want to say, I again, I totally 
empathize with your situation and then the issues you're bringing up. I understand that they exist. Um, I, I can just say that in my experience, it's been way harder to convince my friends and that, that I think I want you to trust me um, as much as you can, even after this Zoom and what little trust we build here. The next time, the next time, and the next time, I want you to know that I work on this and it's really, it's tricky because if I go in there, if I go in there and start saying things like you're stupid and you're racist and you shouldn't think that, it, it, it shuts down more conversations with my people than anything. There's fear, there's shame, there's guilt, there's all of those things and they don't know how to address it because they're people and they don't know what they don't know. And so again, it, in terms of my how I changed that about myself or how that was changed for me was exactly like I said, I was fortunate to be just put it's not about liking a culture or learning to like or getting along with. It's like really, truly understanding. Like Cliff Alexis showing me scars on the back of his head where cops beat him because he played steel pan. The idea that that would even be a thing would never cross my mind. And so then that moment in high school, I then saw like, oh, I don't know how to fix this. It doesn't happen to me, but I know it exists. And so past that, I think I, think I just want us to keep talking. I think that's... that's um, you know, uh, yeah. I don't have a better answer. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I agree. I think, I think, you know, the education, of course, what she was saying before, each one teach one. And, uh, you know, we, we really, it, it's just, it goes beyond you, but just getting along, you know, um, totally. there, there needs some kind of police reform, but, um, personally, um, everybody here pretty much from the, for the most part, part knows this. My, when I was nine, my brother was killed by the police, um, in front of my family. And he was only 18 years old. And those police that killed, he wasn't armed or anything. Um, they was actually supposed to save him. He wanted to kill himself. And um, the police were called to stop him. And um, he, he, he turned to look at my dad and then they shot him in the front and back. Um, I'm so sorry. Hours. I'm so sorry, Mecca. I, I, I don't know what to say other than I'm sorry. Yeah, so I mean, this affects me personally as well. This, but when I'm saying that those, those cops, those two cops that killed my brother, they got death duty. Then it got paid suspension. Then it went back on force. So there also needs to just there needs to be police reform. There needs to be a system like from the government, the people at the top who in the government don't look like me. The people that's you know this in the Senate and the Congress that they don't look like me. They look like you. So if we get more of you guys with the privilege to help us make that change at the top, that'd be great. Not just with the people in the government, sit in the Senate and Congress, but also with police reform. Yeah. You know, because it, it also with the generational wealth. Every time we do something to get out of the hole, we get kicked back into it. For instance, Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. It was a system in Tulsa, Oklahoma was the, the epicenter of Black Wall Street. And it was bombed by the government. So now we're at the point we're here today where we are, you know, like again, you guys have seven times the wealth that we do, generational wealth that we do. These these are the things, these are the real issues, you know. These are, and and again, I just want to make you aware. I don't know if you're aware or not, but make you aware of that. Because if you really want to help, that's where we can start by educating each other. Well, I appreciate that. I there are you have mentioned things to me that I did I'm not aware of hundred percent. And I and I to me, this is like what people need in the world. I think are just more data points. I'm, I wish I had a better word than data point, but it's like what you, your story to me is a, a, if it's a, it's now a thing that's in my brain. I can't unhear what you just said, right? Like, like it's there for better or worse. I can't unhear it and I can't unforget it. And I don't want to, um, but it will now affect the way I walked through the world. It's not going to change everything, 
but now I sort of, I have to see things differently. And I think my friends, my family members, my relatives, my high school kids I went to school with, like what they need is just more data points. And data points, uh, it, I would call it more like aha moments, just yes, like the, all the aha moments that you have. I think everybody just needs more aha moments is what it is because these cops, the, the police stations or whoever it is that hires them gives them the power to think that they're inferior to these people and they can do what they want to do. Right. But if you weren't a cop, would you still have done these to those black people in the streets? No, because they probably wouldn't beat you up. They probably would have called their homeboys, as you want to call it. But because you're a cop with a badge and a gun, you feel like you could do whatever it is because you were taught that these black people, they're violent. You should fear for your life. Yeah. Again, each one teach one. This is what they were taught. OJ being chased down the highway. It's what, for lack of better words, it's what you guys knew. Cops, it's what you was taught. When in reality, that's not actually what it is. There are nice people, black people. There are nice, educated black people, wholesome black people. Just because there are one or two out there that might be a little hostile, it doesn't make the whole race hostile. So again, I'm always going to preach each one, teach one. Teach one. Cops, these cops, the political people, they are taught that you have power and you can do what you want when in fact you can't do what you want. Because if these people decide to fight back, this is what we get. All right. Thank you. So um, I just want to end this segment of our discussion. I want to thank Josh for being here, for facing some of the tough questions, for facing my peers. Um, because our dynamic, Josh, we, it's already established, right? We established that we have a trust in each other. We establish a, a bond together. So our conversation would be easier to have than, let's say, like how Mecca came in and she has a whole different experience than I've had. I've shared my experiences with you and it's nothing. That's my personal experience. It's nothing like, like Mecca's experience. Right? Well, Mecca, I would say, I would say like, I have a podcast. It's called Concert Honesty. And I, it's, mo it's mainly Sheldon's been on it now and Kendall and Mark and Odie and, and, uh, uh, Jerry on and Cliff was on it. Cliff Alexis was on it a couple years ago. Um, it's a, it's just a, it's, I, I like one-on-one -on -one conversations a lot um, because I really just want, I I'm way better just getting to know one person. And so I, I want to put the, the, the invite out there. Um, Mecca, if you'd ever like to come on my podcast, if you and I can chat for an hour and a half, just getting to know each other. Like I don't, and, and it's not a, like trying to solve any problems. I don't want to solve a problem in our conversation. I just want to get to know who you are. And if, and where the conversation goes is totally up to us. I don't have an agenda of like, we need to talk about race or we need to talk about food and culture or anything or police brutality or any of that. It's just me and you. So I'll put the invite out. Sheldon has my contact information. Um, and I would say this, I didn't speak much with the rest of you, but this, the invite is there too, to any, anybody. But Mecca, if you, if you want to talk more with me ever about this stuff, know, know that I have a mic and uh, I can press record and we can get to know each other just a step better. Because again, if I'm going to say that that's the way to do it, then I have to be willing to do it. So, so just know that, that, that the mic in the, invi in, in the invite is there um, if you want to share your story. Because my friends don't know that story. And if you want them to know about it, I can do that very easily. Um, and I would, I would love to do it. Forget my friends. I just would love to get to know you better. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I'll, I'll take you up on that offer.
please do. All right. I'll, I'll definitely share that information. Please so thanks, Josh, um, for joining us. And thanks for extending that offer and being willing and open to have these discussions. And this is not the last discussion. Um, this is only the start, right? You are quite so- welcome, Sheldon. And, and to everybody here, genuinely, thank you so much. Um, and I would really, 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 I'm going to put all of you equal responsibility here to figure out how we do this in person sooner than later. <laughs> I'll put a mask on or whatever, but I think these conversations are better if we can feel each other's like energy a little bit in the room. Um, Plus we can have some food and that that will make things way easier too. So uh, thank you again. Don't worry. I got you. I'll fly you out. (laughs) Everybody. Thank you so much for everything. Appreciate it. Sheldon. Thanks Josh. All right. So um, let me play a song and then we'll, we'll go on with our conversation um, because I, I really want this conversation to go to the direction of, of, trying to figure out um, what we could do to contribute positively to getting out of, out of the situation. So let me play a song and then we move forward and uh, we'll, we'll discuss that to everyone who would still like to be part of the conversation and, and um, anyone else who's listening. All right. Another young boy fall. Mm-hmm. You sold your ass that night. Oh, you's a bad man. Bad man is a man who just defend woman and protect the young ones by any means, lad. You ain't no bad man, boy, now. You ain't no bad man. A real bad man just makes his own decisions. He don't need anyone. He only needs that. You ain't no bad man, boy, now. You ain't no bad man. So sit down, rock back. Tell them I don't need no strap to defend my people from wicked and evil woes. Stop, sit down, rock back, big man, for a walk, you do damn evil. If they distress my people, then fire go burn them, fire go burn them. Oh, Lord, I said this is the air for love. Fire go burn them, fire go burn What they killing for? All right. So now we get to the part of the conversation where we need to come up with some ideas and thoughts. I have my ideas, I have my thoughts. So, Christina, I know you was like, I don't know where this conversation, where to take this conversation and all of that stuff. Right? Now, we don't have to have a plan. We just have to talk about it and see. And within the discussions, then we could come up with a plan. Now, we already know systematically we are oppressed yes in this 2020 that's that's a given we know that we are experiencing it right now we know that we want anyone who is of a different race 
to do what they can and use their privilege to help change our system. That's what we're working on. That's kind of why I would have the discussion with Josh and anyone else of another race to have that discussion with. There's so, there are a few people I want to have a discussion with, but I didn't get in touch with them. And it's because of their views. It's Indian people who saying that, and only excuse the language, that we behave like old niggas. And I'm not even talking about that lady that uh, getting the cut ass in trouble in the morning today. <laughs> I'm talking about other people. Right? And if you look at the aboods, there's another lady that post, I see another post today about something where she talk about, yes, it's black. They're killing each other. Look at who. they only voting black people and they keep themselves down and, and all of that stuff. So a lot of people, right? You look at the people from Dominican Republic who do not identify with blacks. Now, I don't know if the mirror working properly, but hey. You black too. Yeah. I don't care what language you speak, right? People who have Indian descent with dark skin think they are different than us, right? So we are fighting a battle against so many people, a system designed to oppress us and is still being um, progressively oppressive, right? We are dealing with racial um, injustices white people versus us we're dealing with the police versus us we're dealing with indians and everybody else versus us right my question is how do we start to unify and the only way we could start a fight is by unifying right um i have i have um uh uh theory or idea of how we could start to move forward and it's by having conversations like these is by speaking to each other about the raw feelings and the raw emotions but also we need to come up with a plan now i see the 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 um the group that um is all about black businesses and everything like that and as i said earlier it's just chaotic it's just a bunch of people posting the Instagram tag. They're not telling you what their business is about. It's like, follow me. It's 50,000 people in here. Um, each of us could get 10,000 followers. But there's no really defined goal as to how that is going to affect change in the black community. Yeah, Alyssa. That chat, I think I had invited a few of you to that chat because I was invited to that. It was originally created for us to find a way to build up the Black communities. Like you said, it got chaotic because I see the same thing. And I think what their goal is for Black businesses to start gaining money, because I guess on Instagram, after you reach a certain amount of followers, Instagram starts to pay you just like Facebook. So I think that's where they're going with that, but it kind of takes back from what the chat, what the group was actually created for. So now it's coming, okay, we're going to just make money the easy way, but that's not helping build the community what it was actually supposed to be created for. All right. So I get that, and that's understandable, right? And I joined the I joined the group because I was like, hey, this looks like something uh, interesting. Where we could help build each other. Now, the whole problem to me with that, and that is my opinion, so everybody's opinions when I'm done with this, is that we still 
going about this with a dependency on Instagram. You understand? We going about this with a dependency that yes, follow each other ten thousand. Now ten thousand followers, right, just to get paid by Instagram is not gonna do much for my business if they're not really coming and contributing to my business financially. Right? So I had ten thousand followers because my business there and everything I post ten thousand more people posting it. So everything gets lost in the shuffle. Now I had um a guest on a few weeks ago, Anjali, who started this black and point thing where she focuses on black businesses in the Houston area. And I think that's the direction we need to go. Um anyone else have a comment before I move forward? Yeah. Um I was I saw that, you know, LaSalle invited me to that chat room as well. And I, I thought the concept was dope. Okay, keep the black dollar in the black community. Okay, I get that. But the, the that room did get out of control. On a hand. I uh I was invited to a uh room in um on Facebook, uh, Black Panther Party, and they actually talking about, you know, coming together and actually making the change, like I was saying, systematically. Um, and it's not no old oh, let's get together and hate white people kind of thing. It's like okay, let's work together. And they actually um, offering real solutions, you know, because it's it, it, we we have to understand that the division within the black community because it's been it's a system we've been worked on. It's a system that been put in place. Like I said before, this Willie Lynch system. There's a new new Willie Lynch book and there's an old Willie Lynch book, and thus the system has been put in place to you know. Um, psychologically divide us. Now, we have to understand that this is not normal behavior for us to be our within each other, and we have to consciously move towards that. We have to educate each other. We have to we, we have to come together. We have to consciously come together and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put these, we're going to put politicians in, you know, in areas of power. We're going to work, we're going to vote to do this. And, you know, we have to be the, the judges, the lawyers, the, you know, the politicians, we have to be that. That's where we could start getting into those positions in the government so that, you know, let's be the police so that we can take back some control over our own communities, you know, instead of, you know, we, we when you that's, go to That's court, what I was going to point out with the, with the black business group thing, like, oh, it's black, it's a black business community kind of thing, but where is this community? How can I feel like I'm a part of this community without quite being a business only, owner, but I'm still black? Only, uh, and not only um, where's the community is what they do with the money. It's like okay, right? It's going into it's your pocket you, as your business. Money, are you putting the money back into the black community? Well, that's right. what I was saying too. It's not building where it the group was supposed originally created to build the community. Them doing it that way is not building the community. It's going into your personal account. So what are you going to do with that money right. now? Exactly. What are you doing with it? Right. Where, where is the community is, is the question. The, where exactly is the community? This, this, because now oh, I want to come be a part of this. Like Black Wall Street, the doctors and the teachers and the residents, the families, the mothers, the fathers, they all knew each other. They took care of each other. That's what makes them a Black community. But in this particular um, I thing. think some of these groups where just exactly is the community right now and using it for their profit. 
Well, the Black Wall Street was a system. It was in several cities. And it was Tulsa being the, the epicenter, being the, the um epicenter. The, the richest, the richest like the heart of, of that, you know, that network. It was a network where black people were they, they had peace. They were able to keep their money because right now the black dollar circulates in the black community for about six minutes. It circulates in um other communities, the white, you know, Asian law it stays in there longer. So yeah. we can keep that money in our pockets. Because right, what we're doing with our money now, we're empowering. Okay, there was a list that came out of all the businesses, the companies that donated to Trump's re-election campaign. Places we go to, like Wendy's and 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 then uh, uh, CVS, and like a lot of those those companies were on there. So, black people, we generate the most money, but we're giving it to those companies, and they're taking that money and they're empowering Trump. Yeah. So if we can take that money from them and keep it in our communities and empower each other. Then that's, you know, that'll help us out. It's just keeping yeah, it how do we, we, we how Christine and I were talking about, about that, that today. That's exactly what I was going to say. How do you start doing that? How do you get the black people to say, okay, yeah, I'm not going to buy the Wendy's. I'm not going to buy the KFC. I know plenty right. of training people want to go turn that and buy KFC. How are you going to stop them from buying KFC? And that money is going to go to the politicians who are supporting the people that are bringing the black communities down. How do you, how, what steps do you take for them? Posting a list on social media isn't going to help. Right. It might help with five, 10 people, but we, what about the other billions and trillions of people that right. purchase? We need to make our own Wendy's, make our own grocery no. stores, our own hospitals, our own things like that. We need our own banks. We need our own. Keep that money in right. our, we need to come together and have, and build our, those things that they have that we don't have. We need to come together and build those. Like we have now, before on Black Wall Street, we had our own hospitals, our own grocery stores, our own banks, all of that stuff. So we can right. just we can come together, bring our money together, and do that. That's what that's, that's the answer. That's exactly that's exactly uh, the answer, Mecca. That's to me. That's and and Lisel, I think we all on the same page with that. Now, the thing is, right? We do have black people in position where we we beginning to acquire a little bit of wealth right what i see is in my opinion we have to start changing the things we value as black people and i'll give you an example now i i started off my career i work in in kids for locker and all that stuff and every one of us when we was young had one of those jobs that was just a a, a transition all right into adulthood right now i'm at where i'm at right as a nurse right i'm a clinical manager i drive around and people look at me and ask me oh my employees drive fancier cars than i do <laughs> right my employees i see a mercedes-benz a range rover bmw right two mercedes-benz and i had a conversation with an employee about the range rover and i'm like listen I have an Ultima. It's 2013. I'll be done paying for it soon. When I'm done, the only money I invest in that is maintenance and to fix parts. I'm not going to invest my money again into any fancy thing. And I look at it like this. The more we make, we adjust our lifestyle to meet our budget. 
right? So when you're making fifteen dollars an hour, you're struggling. You're using that to pay rent, to pay bills. You have desires. We want material things. You can't buy a pair of Jordans because your money going to rent of food. You get a raise. Now you're making twenty dollars an hour, and it's just the black people mind. In my opinion, how we value material things. Twenty dollars an hour, value extra two hundred dollars in my in my in my wallet. Like you know what. I always wanted to get our Jordan. So now we're going and satisfy our desire for what we couldn't afford. And it, it goes on and it goes up until we buy Louis Vuitton. And we're showing off with each other who are Gucci, who are Louis Vuitton, and who are fake and what not. And that's the beginning where we had to change that mindset. If we could get out of that mindset and look into... That's because that's, that's, what we was, that's what we were taught, though. Correct. People were taught. If you so make more money, you go into the mind frame like, "Mama, we made it." Like, we made right. It's not the right thing. Correct, and that's where we had to start to change because now I remember living in Brooklyn, going to the projects, and there Lexus and Benz park up outside. It's a show. Well, it's a show. But who, instead who, of we take our money, correct, and all the businesses in the black communities owned by Asians, whites, all the buildings owned by Jews. Right, and we don't invest in purchasing the block. Somebody said it, I know he said it on the show this morning, but somebody else said that in a video I was watching. I think it was Obama said it, or somebody we had to buy back the blocks. It wasn't Obama or somebody else, I don't know, but so many people said, Um, one of those, um, rap artists, um, yeah, somebody, but, but we had to buy back the blocks. But shall it all come back to what you taught? Right. Turn it down and something like that. It all come back to what we taught, Sheldon. Um, we are taught when we have money to buy. Yes, it all come down to educating ourselves and our future generation to make that change. And I agree with you. And how do we educate? Now let's look at hip hop industry for for example as an example, right? Um, look at the message they send now. The majority of the biggest hip-hop artists do not send a positive message. Right? Now, let's think about that on a wider scope. These, you know what? Uh-huh. I'm sorry. That, that's, that's one of the things, ways we can make a change because the media is big. The media is, is big in perpetuating negative stereotypes of black people. There's so many top talented black artists that put out positive music and they don't get seen and they don't get heard. And we're not in control of that, that, um, that industry either. It's white folks. It's Jews. I'm, my radio station is owned by Jews. Like we're not, we're not, we don't have our own things like that. Our Correct. Own, uh, but tell uh, what NBC, we don't have an NBC. We don't have a, no, we get BET, but that's, that's, that's your own fault. But hear what? Hear what? Hear what? Right? I'll challenge that because within the black community, right? We know that that's the agenda they push. We know it. We're not oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. But our black artists, right? There's so many artists that sing positive music. But I come from the hood, I get a break, right? And all I could sing about is is sex, drugs, um, violence, 
And guess what happens when that the media pushes that? You have check out some of the biggest artists who went platinum and all that shit. Six nine come out and had how much millions of people his live reach or whatever the case is. And he didn't push a positive message to the black community at all. Right now, let's think about that. In our own community, this is what we hear, and this is what these young thugs coming up, and everybody now like shit, he made it, I can make it. But they sing him about violence and look at Bobby Schmurder, look at the the, the the direction he went down. We have a lot of talented young individuals, but we don't push them either. Look at just how we we promote on Facebook, promote ourselves. Now let me expand on that. Just picture these little white children listening to hip hop, right? And them parents or their grandparents grew up in a segregated time. And them little children now, they have all the social media and they're listening to hip-hop. They're listening to, um, what is the, what is the stripper name? Um, stripper rapper. They're looking at Cardi, the Cardi, 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 Cardi B. Right? <laughs> they're listening to... <laughs> stripper rapper. The stripper one. <laughs> they're listening to... I, I don't pay attention to these people. Nicki Minaj and all of them. And this new one, Megan Thee Stallion, however, they, they message have nothing positive. So now you you talking about all whiteheads who generally have that innate negative view of black people. They're teaching their children that. And the children playing this hip-hop trying to, you know, be culturally involved, however the case is. And this is what the parents hearing. Like, oh, damn, they're really living up to what we thought them to be. You understand? Yeah, but the problem with that is we are a product of our environment. These people are a product of their environment. And you can only rap about what you know. So if this is all they know, this is what they were taught. We're once taught. They, this is all that they can practically rap about. And what right. they, they're speaking about their personal lives, a lot of them. Right. This is stories that they're telling their story regardless. I mean, yes, it's violence. Yes, it's about sex, you know how you discriminate on a a woman. It's what they were taught and it goes from generation to generation. So that generational thing has to stop. It has to stop. Now it, it raises the question, you know, the, the saying says you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So it raises the question, do we start with our people or do we start with our kids and the generation that comes behind us? Because these old heads and we having a hard time with them now we start with us now i'll tell you how it was going back up in <laughs> i grew up in love until right and well, back then boy. right no serious back then right it had the gangsters and the old heads and the gangsters right they grew up and they they were in our life because they felt like it was the best option for them. But me as a youth growing up, I couldn't come out and say I will be no bad man or no. Them clouting me, listen, don't follow me footsteps. This is not the way. Right? We in it, we don't know how to get out, but we don't want to let to grow up like that. We want better for our community. That's then. But how did they prevent right? you from not following their footsteps? You could tell me but all you yes. want to. Hey, don't follow my footsteps, right. but what now, are you going to do if I do it? What I could do if I... What they did is, if they find a youth man going down the footsteps, 
is a community catastrophe again. Yeah. Right? That's one, so thing about, that's one thing about, I know about Latin. don't have that. Itself. I mean, Trinidad on a whole, it was communities. Communities, everybody raised a village. That's what it was. The neighbor took care of you, even though you didn't live with the neighbor. But I have family that actually lived in Laventille. And same like Sheldon. They were not part of it. They were not allowed to be part of it. The gangs did not want them to. They wanted them to succeed because they saw something in my cousins to know that they can get out of that area. They knew that. One of my cousins didn't make it out of that area. He passed, he died literally before he could do that. But his guess what? His daughter now plays field pan competition. He died or he was murdered. He was hit by a car, a, a, a maxi taxi to be exact, and died. Yes, in Laventon. My uncle, a white, white man, his children went Laventon. But guess what? They're very protective of who goes in there. Again, a community. So a community has to, just like what we have to try to build in the Black community, they have that community and they're watching out for their own. They're trying to build their own for those that they know that can get out. So why can't we take those tactics and build our own and protect our own? Yeah, that's, that's the direction we need to go. And we need to spread the conversation out. because just thinking about thing, right? Just thinking about TNT, how the crime rate high. We so small-minded and we so love as we get a little and and um I think this morning they was talking about trouble in the morning, the twelve hundred dollars stimulus check that people get. Right? Everybody, big thing, yeah. I got my twelve hundred, you can get yours, and, and it was a big conversation, he he ha ha ha, right? We as black people need to stop taking scraps and accepting it as progress. And we do that a lot. Mm -hmm. We get scraps, it show we have bone, we take it and we like, yeah, look what we have. We get something. But we have nothing. Look at Brooklyn, look how they change the whole geography. The demographic of Flatbush alone. And that's why, because we didn't take time to own anything and if we did own we sell out mm. we look at what we could get in exchange i have it so here what i go and say how much you are fine half a million yeah but we didn't think at the wider scope of how it affects the, the community and it also is so many layers to the thing it goes back to the zoning to the voting because they push people out that backlist center you know how much people they push out that community to, to bring in that backlist center is one man who study ground until they offer him like 2.5 million or something to sell the house. So that's where this whole it it increased the rate of the change in the demographics in the community in Brooklyn. Right? But we had to keep having this conversation with each other with the, with our kids and we need to find a way to get more people to be involved in this conversation, more black people. Well, that's where that's how we the only way we could start organizing and progressing. We could we need help from the system, but without us starting ourselves and standing up together and say we're not accepting this shit, if we stop taking money out of the economy and put it in our own economy, like Mecca said, 
money don't last in the black economy long. It gone. The minute we get it, it gone. Sheldon, we, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. You're saying, okay, the government has, or you know, people in politics, black people in politics, similar to what Trouble in the Morning had this morning. The police officers that did not want to come and interview because they're afraid they lose their jobs. A lot of these politicians who are that can speak out will not speak out because either what they're going to lose votes, they're going to get fired from their jobs, their position, their position. So again, it's the mindset of the individual. How we have to change? I don't know to say if we have to change their mindsets, but they need to change their mindsets because they have the platforms. Like what um, Mecca was saying earlier, it needs to be spoken about. How do we get them to speak without them being afraid that they're going to lose their job, but at the well, same time, help the black communities? It starts with us. It starts with each individual in the community, right? We, it had to spread like a disease. It starts with me and my neighbor. It starts with me coming home and seeing them fellas on the block and not coming and be like, hey, what are they doing on the block? Have a conversation. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Because generally, when you live in a neighborhood with people on the block, they know you. They say, hey, this man always coming from work, right? And have a conversation with them. Hey, how come this? And we start a conversation. That's where it starts. We know in every hood, right, you have 90% Right or the majority of people that are productive citizens, but they're struggling to get by. And you have these few people who are the bad apples. They may not see another way. They may not have somebody like me or, you know, people or somebody like Max who doing something with himself to say, hey, guys, stop it. Because you know what happened? We get so caught up with ourselves and trying to get out of where we are that we sometimes forget to look back. Forget to say, guys, listen, I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, lift your whole load, but let me have a conversation with you. Let's talk about certain things. Let's talk about wealth. Let's have a discussion about the stock market, right? All these white people making money right now, you know, that, that stimulus bill passed. They give all, everybody $1,200 for them to turn the eye and they put all our money back in the economy. Why is it universities need money when almost every American have a student loan that they could never pay back because of the interest? All our money going into big businesses. Right? Now, we as, as, as black people, this is where the conversation needs to start to shift. How do we build wealth rather than always we put we money in our bank? What is the percentage you getting back on, our, on that money in, in the bank? very slim if you have any at all right now i'm not saying everybody have to invest in the stock market i'm just saying the conversation needs to change we need to stop teasing people who don't have it make me feel like as soon as i get money i have to reach up to community standards and buy a pair of jordans and it starts from the youth it starts from the youths i see people buying a Two-year-old Jordans, what your your child going to do? Going to model? That's not necessary. Them don't even care about that. Three, four-year-old, all I'm studying is Barney, Sesame Street. Uh, I mean, that's old time. They have new new thing now. Peppa Pig, I don't like Peppa Pig. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Peppa Pig is disrespectful, but 
we have to change the mindset. Like and and even before this, even before this situation with George Floyd, I started pushing and the flyer so on the screen now, pushing small businesses because I understand that the economy going to open back up. A lot of black small a lot of black owned small businesses will not survive survive mm-hmm. after this covid will not no matter how we try to support them but if all of us in the communities when we open back up and the economy opens back up right instead of going to wendy's and mcdonald's which may be franchised by a black person mm-hmm. we still have to keep that in mind we look to go to the man who have the little restaurant in the community right somebody who have a little clothing store in the community somebody who have the hair salon nail salon the other part of that is we as black people who run in business have to one improve our way of dealing with our customers and two make sure that our customers could afford the services we providing even though that will be challenging but that's a big thing go ahead mecca i had a um you know, when, when I found out we were getting stimulus checks, I reached out to some people and I said, hey, let's put our checks together and open a business. Let's do some because I'm a business owner. Um, but I said, hey, let's let's put our money together and have a farm market. Let's do something like that. You know, um, And I couldn't find anybody that was on board. Um so it was a bit disappointing for me. We need we need to start thinking like that as a, as a unit, as a unit. I had a I have a friend, and she um you know I've been making soaps for a very long time, and uh, in my business hasn't gotten off the ground because everything's organic. find that out there. <laughs> You're right. You it wasn't. I should have. Um, a friend. She started. She saw me working on my soaps and stuff, and she started her skincare line. And she reached out to me and said, "Hey, I see you've been making soaps and stuff. How are you doing with?" I said, "Not good." You know, it's expensive. I need investors. And she was like, well, you know, I would like a partner. Let's partner up. And I was happy about that. I was like, okay, this is some some kind of, this is recently that happened. Now I'm saying like, okay, I'm hopeful because it's, it's a start. You know, she's a black business owner. I'm a black business owner. We can put our, you know, our resources together, our marketing together, things, and we can grow from that. And we need to do, we, we need to collectively do more things like that. Um, bring our resources together, work together, work with each other, not be competing with each other. That's one of the ways we can do it. To keep our yeah. money with, with, within our community and help each other's businesses out. Correct, correct. And I just want to I just want to point out for anybody who don't, d- didn't realize or recognize, SokaPassionTX.com has a page specifically with Black-owned businesses. Right, and that's something that we need more of, and it's black owned businesses pretty much in the Houston area, right? So, individually, these are things that we need to do. Mecca, you had an idea, right? We say, Yo, you reach out to people, people, eh, I don't want to do it. You're gonna get that, you're gonna definitely get that. But we had to keep pushing. Figure out, listen, all right, I didn't make it with this one. I didn't make it with that one. There are other people out there who willing. I reach out to so many people about um, a, a small business. 
I still waiting on responses from people, but you know what? It is not going to deter the goal. It's always gonna be like, what's the next step? And we like we having this conversation. If we could start to reach out to one other person, five are we here now? Next week, if we shall we get one person to participate? Who in the zoo? I am. <laughs> Yeah, birds are taking you back. Birds, Christina. Oh, my man. man. <laughs> <laughs> I had animals. I know somewhere they allow the animals in the zoo. I, I thought you was in Florida, not Philly. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we need to just start with us. Right? And start with how we could work together and improve ourselves. And one person, if we start bringing in one person, one person, one person, eventually, hopefully, we reach to where we need to be. You know, and I appreciate that, Mecca. But next time, you know, it has some of us you may not know would be interested in in coming on board with your business. We sit well, on you know, to that business. To the, I reach out to the people who I know were interested. They nice. didn't reach out to me. I know, well, I mean... I, I, you, okay, you're right. I should have. I reached out to the people who I, who I spoke with before who I knew were actually interested in doing something like that, and then they, they kind of reneged. Right. So, so the, minute, the, minute them, the minute them renege, you move on. You, how much you're people right. you have in your network? You you're just right. go along until you find somebody. You know to- why I stopped? You know why I stopped? Because I never got my stimulus check. So I stopped asking people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, 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 I never, I still haven't gotten it to this day. So that's why I really didn't. I stopped there. I asked people who I knew was interested. And since I never got the check, I just stopped asking. Now, I'll tell you this. Sometimes you don't, you don't, you just still need to push. Listen, you need to do this. You come up with the plan. It have people who might be say, you know what? You're not the startup money. Let we start up. And then we go from here. We start a business together. I put so much money. I get back the money I put. And then we promote the business and move together. Your ideas, your plan, you have, is not everybody could financially contribute to a business. You might bring something to the table that I would need, but. You don't have the funds for it. I had the funds. I could back it. But your plan, we sit down and we realize, hey, this could work. Now, I take in risk financially, correct. But I, some, if I am a business-minded person, nothing, you, you can't go without risk. Everything we do is, is risk-reward, right? So much people invest so much right before this COVID-19. They take a risk. What happened? COVID-19 come, destroy all of that. Right, but we had to learn to get back up as as black people. Anyway, we have twelve more minutes before this this whole segment up. We could go um, over here, no. no, actually, no. This the short seven. Sorry, I forget. I get somebody coming on at seven. I'm like, uh, we could go over. <laughs> yeah, um, you know. So I just feel like we need to have conversations like these, and you know, we need to just always expand and make sure and I and. Christina and Max, all the show on Sunday is, um, you know, pretty much discussions and stuff like that. And I don't have the time to have an next show, to be honest. So I'm not going to just... Oh, we got it. Today, I just <laughs> I couldn't... I didn't have the availability to make the noise that I normally make. So yeah, I passed know. it on to somebody else. Understood, understood. We get that. Um, but I know you guys have it. And... and there's something we need to kind of push more and promote more 
It's conversations like this. Because after all the protest stop, then what's the next stop? We go on, we jam with music, we shows, and everything like that. We look to build, we follow in, and we go back to life as normal. This cannot be back to life as normal. That's so. what I said. And like I said, this is the same conversation that I've been... I have a small group of friends, so this is the conversation that I've always been having to them, especially in the last three to five months. Like, yeah, we talk about our Zoom parties and, and man and all of that. But at nighttime, when we have our 1 a.m., 2 a.m. conversation... I'm telling them about psycho scores and boosting your credit. And mm-hmm. yeah, we're not family, but I think that we should go here and buy a big house. All of us, at least we can all say we own a little bit of the American pie. In four or five years, we double back, decide what we want to do. We want to sell and break or we want to keep it because majority of us have kids. So even if we keep it and we don't use it, at least it's there for our kids. And then yep. their kids. Yeah. And we have it that belongs to us. Correct. Nobody can take it from us. If more people can do like it's almost every night Pricey and I are on the phone for two hours, just thinking of different ways to build each other as black women. Um that our kids, the fo- the generations to follow, and their kids at, as far as it goes back, they will have, they will have, we will set that pathway for them if more people can do things like how we have those conversations that's a start in building each other and that's one thing we can't build if we keep fighting each other we have to invest in stock we have to invest in real estate we have to keep this momentum going because right now we got the world behind us the world is watching they see what's going on over here and they're standing up too we got italy rioting um france london in New Zealand, they did a haka, you know, for Black Lives Matter. You know, we got the world behind us are watching us now. Now, we can't stop here. We got to keep the momentum going. We have to make a real change. We got to, yep. you know, and, and make a financial change. We have to, you know, a positive a change. Generational, yeah, build, build up generational wealth in the Black community. We have to keep this momentum going. We can't just get mad and, and, and tear up shit, excuse me, Correct. Tear up and stop. We have to keep it going, keep the conversation going, keep educating each other. Correct. And now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time because even it, and I think is 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 the perfect opportunity also because where the economy is where it's at and is a phase where we could actually get in there, those of us who can, right, and start to own things. You know how much people make millions off of the stock market. Let's build wealth and then spread it in the community. When we come out of this in a few years, right, we should own we own block, right? We should be able to decide what goes on our blocks. There's no reason why the Asians should own the whole block, all the businesses, the dry cleaners, the nail salon, right? The, the, the fresh fruit stall, the supermarket. If them don't own that, right? The, the hair salons or whatever they do, they're selling hair, they're selling hair products, nail products. When you look at the other side, the liquor store is the, the, the corner stores, is the Middle Eastern zone in it. The buildings we live in is the Jew zone in it. We own nothing. You understand? So this is where we now have to start back reinvesting in the community. 
And the more of us at this ground level, we need to start to take it back because the people at the level who could do it now, which is majority of the superstars and the rappers and everything, majority of them not doing it. Now, I would say positively, right, before we end, I have seen some positive changes. I have seen Michael Jordan take some money and say he's going to invest in the black community. I've seen... Huh? Jordan? Michael Jordan, a really? hundred million, yes, over ten years. I've seen. Years yeah, that wouldn't. Yeah, that happened uh, recently. A hundred million. He pl he pledged over ten year period to go into the black community. There are areas where they're taking um money that they contribute to the police department and reinvesting it into the black community. No, there's another artist, um, hip hop artist, that's actually said it's time to build back, to buy back the blocks. Right. And he's in the process of doing that. So it's a, it's there's it's some a start. Yeah. The all another thing I I noticed also in some police departments, I think I know I don't know exactly where it is, but there's one place that I think is is um where George Floyd, George Floyd got killed, they outlawed the chokehold, they make it illegal. I think Dallas, they they um put in a change where it, it say, say something in a situ in, to the extent of, if I'm a police officer and I see you as my partner abusing your force, it is my duty to intervene. Right? They're no longer accepting that is a code. You have to intervene now. So they are slowly making some change. That wasn't even a code. Huh? Was that? That was actually that's actually a thing. Yeah. Like that's they had thing. to put it in effect that if yeah, I, as yeah. your partner, see you, well, that oh. if that is what they had to do now to get the changes, I accept in that. If it had to be in black and white to hold people accountable, let's do that because they don't understand that mentally. And imagine me as a police and just goes back to the trouble in the morning where the officer said there's certain things they can't say or do because of the position they're in. Right? Now, I had a black friend of mine also who I was going to chat with on Wednesday live. Had nothing to do with no show. And he was supposed to be off and they call him out. He's with NYPD. Right, and he's the one I post. I shared his post where he stood up and said he's not accepting anybody. He's gonna not gonna stand by and watch another officer abuse a black person. Right, so he was willing to chat, but he got called out to duty. So we do have people in there, but they need to be able to stand up. Right, to say that I'm not accepting this. I in the police force, and I don't care. Right, I I. I got sacrificed my job to stand up for the writing. That's the type of person I am. I'm not going to, I'm in healthcare, right? And I'll just use this as an example. I'm in healthcare. I was a union delegate. And I would tell the employees that I represent, there's no way I'm going to stand up for you with that foolishness you're doing. You know why? Because my duty is to help people and make sure to improve their life, improve their quality of life. Now, if you know what you're supposed to do and you do what you're supposed to do and you make a mistake, that's something I could live with. But if you jeopardize someone's life because of laziness, because of neglect, or you just refuse to do the right thing, I am not going to stand up with you for that. You know what happened? People vote me out. 
And I was fine with that because I'm not going to condone no bullshit. I'm not going to put anyone's life at risk because I want to be a union delegate or because I'm supposed to be your defendant, right? So I feel like the same concept goes with the police, the police union and shit. Benyow, we're running out of time. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that we can have this conversation again soon. Um, For having us. <laughs> Christina and, and Max, looking forward to some conversations. Just, Josh is, is willing to speak to anybody at any time. Mecca, I'll, I'll share information so that way you could get on and speak to a white audience directly. Okay. All right. So thanks, everybody, for participating. Thanks for having us. All right. And I hope everyone stays well and be safe. And let's uh, continue to talk behind the scenes. All right. I'm here for it. All right. Merci.